Hey everybody, I want to start by saying I miss all of you. I mean, I really do. I miss hanging out with you in our foyer. I miss eating bagels and popcorn with you, drinking coffee with you, catching up on life with you, praying with you, worshiping with you, having you laugh at my corny jokes and seeing you cry when the Holy Spirit touches your heart. I'm glad we can do these YouTube streams, but we're not built to connect like this. And I miss the hugs and I miss the human contact, and I can't wait until we're all together under one roof. So speaking of corny jokes, I'm going to start with a few COVID-19 corny jokes, okay? We need a little levity, don't we? Okay, a 30-year-old millennial still living at home says to his mom, Aha! You thought I wouldn't amount to anything, but here I am lying on the couch saving the world. <laughs> right. A bank teller posted this on her Facebook wall. Today, two men walked into the bank with masks on. I was scared to death for my safety. Thank God they only came in to rob the bank. <laughs> and one more. Uh, Pastor Brian Carlucci left his diary unattended this past week, and I read one of his entries that was titled, Second Day of COVID-19, No Sports. And it said, Today I noticed a beautiful woman sitting next to me on the couch. Turns out, it's my wife. She's kind of nice. <laughs> Thanks for the laughs. Today is the final message in our Connect to What Matters series, and I'd like to begin by having us all recite the Lord's Prayer together from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. So would you all just stand up wherever you're at? Just stand up, and uh, let's read this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. All right, go ahead and sit down. Today's final message is titled Life on Mission. And Life on Mission is really about how to live our lives with more meaning and purpose by integrating our faith into all the various aspects of our life, in our homes, in our school, in our workplaces, in our recreation, and to understand how living on mission connects to what matters, I want to focus on one particular section of the Lord's Prayer that I believe is the best passage in the Bible that frames the essence of what it means to live on mission. Here it is. It's three phrases. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth right here as it is in heaven up there, okay? The kingdom that Jesus is referring to is often called in the Bible the kingdom of heaven. It's also called the kingdom of God. And it's the realm where God actually resides as king of this kingdom. And I believe that what Jesus is basically saying here is that if we truly want to connect to what matters, if we truly want to have more meaning and purpose in our lives and we will need to conduct our lives in a way that replicates down here on earth 
what's happening up there in heaven. Can you see that? Your kingdom come, your will be done on, on earth right here as it is in heaven up there. But who's, this is, listen, who's responsible for ensuring that this happens? Is it God or is it us? Well, I think it's us with God's help. When Jesus ascended back into heaven, he passed the kingdom building baton onto us. And we're now the ones who are responsible for doing God's will down here on earth as it is done in heaven up there. And when we do God's will down here on earth, like it's done up there in heaven, we're helping to expand God's kingdom down here. And if this is true, and I believe it is 200% true, the important question to ask is, what does God's will in heaven look like? What's happening up there? What's everybody doing? I mean, think about that question for a moment, will you? I mean, really, think about it. I'm serious. Try to imagine the place where God lives, where he reigns as king, because it's his kingdom, it's the kingdom of God, what would that environment look like? What kind of activities would you expect his subjects to be doing? Well, we know that they'd be doing God's will, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But what does God's will look like up there? Well, I, I'm sure that we can imagine all kinds of activities taking place in heaven that would fall under the category of God's will. But I want to focus on what I believe are the two primary activities that continually take place in God's heavenly kingdom. And these two activities are what drive all the other activities that we can imagine. And here they are. Number one, everyone in God's kingdom exercises perfect faith. And number two, everyone in God's kingdom exercises perfect love. So let me say those again. Everyone in God's kingdom exercises perfect faith and everyone in God's kingdom exercises perfect love. So let's unpackage first how everyone in God's kingdom exercises perfect faith. In God's heavenly kingdom, there's no atheists. There's no agnostics. There's no faith fence sitters. No one walks around the kingdom of heaven saying something like, I just don't know if God is real. I have my doubts about this whole faith thing. I'm too wounded and I'm too hurt to believe and trust in a God. There are no unbelievers, no doubters, no waffling of, of faith whatsoever up there. Why? Because everyone up there is able to see God. And when that happens, it's game over up there for all the reasons we struggle with faith down here. So how do we help people see God down here? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about how down here, you and I are supposed to be the light of the world and that we shouldn't hide our light. On the contrary, he says in Matthew, uh, in verse 16, that we should let that to, to let your light, let your light shine out of for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. First Peter 
2.12 says it this way, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors that even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. These two passages imply that when, when unbelieving people see our lives, lives that are being molded, lives that are being transformed, and lives that are being healed by our faith, they will see God alive and living in us. And they will give honor and glory to God. Why? Because they came to believe in God through us. In other words, we need to live in such a way that those who know us but don't know God will come to know God because they know us. Someone once said it this way, don't just tell people who God is, show them who God is. And so when we live on mission, we're, we're living in a way that others will see God through us and hopefully find God through us as well. Now, I've been pastoring for over 35 years. I've had the honor of seeing many people come to faith in God through my life. And this always blows me away because I've had marriage struggles. I've had kid struggles. I still have some kid struggles. And I've had all kinds of other struggles. And honestly, as a pastor, these struggles at times feel embarrassing. But I always have to remind myself not to confuse an exemplary life with a perfect life, okay? Because that's not what an exemplary life looks at like. An exemplary life, a life that is an example, is one that is always in process, always leaning heavily on God for everything, always seeking the next level of transformation, always being authentic and humble about the journey. There's just too many Christians out there who come across like arrogant, condescending, perfect know-it-alls. No one sees God in a person like this because that's not how God is. It's a huge turnoff. God is all-knowing, but he's definitely not a know-it-all. Jesus says, let your light shine. Not the light that you think someone wants or needs to see. We're supposed to let our light shine. Our light is the work that God is doing in us. People are not looking for perfection. They're looking for authenticity. And so be real, be humble, be kind, be forgiving, be gracious, because this is how our God really is. And in doing so, you will help people on their journey of faith. This is the first part of what it means to live on mission. Secondly, let's unpackage how everyone in God's kingdom exercises perfect love. In God's heavenly kingdom, no one is abused. Nobody's hurt in any way. Nobody's shamed in any way. No one goes to bed hungry or without a roof over their head. No one ever feels rejected or lonely. No one is treated unfairly ever. Everyone in God's kingdom is valued, valued and esteemed and treated equally. Anyone in God's kingdom can go for a jog down those golden heavenly streets without even the slightest bit of hesitation or fear. Why? Because God is 100% colorblind. He's gender blind. He's ethnically blind and blind to every other measurement that we humans use to discriminate against each other down here on earth. 
That all goes away up there in God's kingdom. Every bit of it, where perfect love reigns in the form of justice and mercy and kindness and equality. In 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter, we read just, it's read just about every wedding ceremony, at least the wedding ceremonies I do, I would say about 99% of the time, 1 Corinthians 13 is read. And in this chapter, Paul talks about what perfect love looks like. Here's what he says. And you could substitute God for the word love. Um, you, could, you could substitute perfect love here, but love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. I love this. It always protects. It always trusts. It always thinks the best of people. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. This is that super high bar of perfect love, right? But then Paul goes on in the chapter to basically say that none of us can really achieve this high bar of perfection right now because our love vision is blurred by our ability to see God clearly. Unlike all those up there in heaven down here, we can only see a foggy image or a foggy reflection of God. And this mixed with our flawed hum humanity keeps us from loving perfectly right now. But it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says this, for now, meaning down here, we only see a reflection of what? Of God, as in a mirror. But then up there, we shall see him face to face. But you know, even though we have this foggy view of God right now, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth so that they would strive to raise the bar of their love higher and higher. Keep shooting higher and higher, especially in order to love those who need extra love, people Jesus called the, the least of these. And they include our most vulnerable people here on earth, those who are abused and broken and enslaved and wounded and addicted and sick and neglected or rejected. So many years ago, we started our Justice and Mercy Ministry here at Cornerstone, and we decided that for every dollar that anyone gives to Cornerstone, we would dedicate a minimum of 10% to this Justice and Mercy Ministry. This year, our budget is around $130,000, which is incredible, I think. It's amazing. We use that money to bring God's unconditional love to vulnerable people, both locally and all around the world, and in light of COVID-19, we've increased that budget to meet unexpected critical needs. We've been purchasing face masks, giving them to vulnerable communities uh, like senior living centers that, that have limited funds, the ones that struggle. A lot of the senior living centers around here are, are not in trouble for money, but, but we're helping the ones that don't have the money to do this. We're, we're uh, giving them to frontline nonprofit organizations and their, their uh, health workers, their doctors, their nurses, and we're giving to low-income ethnic families. <clears throat> One of these senior centers that we're focusing on is Boulder Manor. Uh, seniors are sitting ducks in facilities like these. My mom is in 
a senior living center, and she is basically confined to her room about 90% of the time. But at the Boulder Manor, they've had multiple COVID deaths already. Uh, I, I believe it was six about a month ago, and I'm not sure if it's increased, but they have, they have a couple dozen people that are infected. And so we're supplying them with much needed, fa uh, needed face masks. Uh, another organization we're supplying is Clinica Family Health here in Boulder, and also uh, there are other uh, offices around the, the cl other clinics around the Front Range. Um, they serve uh, a lot of homeless patients, and we're supplying their nurses and doctors with face masks. Uh, right now we're, we're waiting on some to come in. We're going to give them 1,500 masks. And we're also supplying face masks for homeless clients for the Boulder Homeless Shelter. And so, as you heard in the announcements, if you're able to, to, uh, to, to, to donate something, get online and go to our donate page and uh, you can actually give to our COVID-19 project. And then just hot off the press, we're rec we recently learned from Pastor David uh, that the, the Kamuli community that we've been supporting in Uganda is experiencing life-threatening shortages of food due to COVID-19. We've already sent them some emergency funds, but this problem for them is not going to go away anytime soon. And so we're working to create a page on our website about this where you'll be able to make donations to that as well. Okay, so it's so awesome that as a church that we're able to show God's love this way, right? But the most encouraging thing about what's going on right now are all the stories that I hear about our individuals and what individuals and families are doing to demonstrate God's love to vulnerable people and groups. Many of you are making masks and donating them uh, for free. Many of you are, are checking on your neighbors. Many of you are supplying food to needy families and organizations. I even know of one family here at Cornerstone who's walking a service dog for a paraplegic man because he lost his service person in the county of Boulder and, um, due to COVID-19. And they're doing it you know, every day, a couple times a day. We are never more on mission when we are helping people find faith in God and loving people in radical ways. Why? Because doing these things is God's will. Up there in the kingdom of heaven. And so our prayer and our action should always be how Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth down here like it is done up there in heaven. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we long to be your vessel here. There's so many aspects of our life and sometimes we have trouble integrating our faith and our practice into some of those spheres of our life. And uh, Lord, we want to be fully integrated. We don't want to be dualistic in any way. We want to be able to, to, uh, to help people find faith and to love on people in every aspect of our life, our, in our homes, in our work, in our schools, in our recreation, everywhere, Lord. Help us to integrate it. Help us to, to be a, a church that's known for living on mission. Help us to be a church that's known for helping people find faith in you through the witness of our lives. 
Help us to be a church that demonstrates love, particularly to those who are most vulnerable in this world. Because we love you, Lord. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so stick around because I'm going to interview two doctors that attend Cornerstone uh, who are living examples of what I just talked about. One of them is actually a physician at the People's Clinic, the Clinica Family Health here in Boulder. So here we go. I've been so excited to do this interview. I've been just waiting, dying to be able to talk to the two of you. This is uh, Clark and Jenny Berngard, and uh, they have two small children. Emma is five, and Caleb is three, and I'm assuming that they're just home by themselves right now, taking care of themselves. Is that? Emma's a really good caretaker, actually. <laughs> At five? That's great. Okay. No, actually, you tell me they're with your, they're with Clark's father. Yeah. So that's good. So welcome. Thank you for coming. I know that you guys have busy schedules and you have family to take care of. So carving out some time to come is great. Um, why don't you start off by telling everybody how long you've been coming to Cornerstone? I don't think th that many people know who you are and just... We've been attending for about a year and a half. Um, we were in California before this, but we both grew up for a majority of our lives in Colorado. Perfect. Um, and then tell everybody what kind of work and where you work at. Um, so we're both medical doctors, and I'm a family practice doctor. So I take care of children, adults, pregnant women, kind of start a life to end of life, and I work at Clinica Family Health, which is a federally health qualified center, so serves the marginalized. And I had mentioned in my talk that we're hoping, because we've got an order place, it should be here in about a week and a half, to supply Clinica. I imagine it's all across the front range, but also the People's Clinic in Boulder um, with face masks. Yep, we're really appreciative. Yeah, I'm hoping that they get in here quick. Um, and then Clark, how about you? Um, I'm a pulmonary and critical care physician, so I do a mix of outpatient uh, work in the clinic of people with lung and breathing problems. And I also work in the intensive care unit or the ICU at Boulder Community Health uh, here in Boulder. Wow, so if somebody's struggling with COVID-19, imagine they come across your path. Yes. And Jenny, likewise, I think um, you have mentioned that you are often treating people that maybe haven't had a bit, haven't been able to have a, a positive test, but are most likely um, have COVID nineteen. Is that true? Yeah, and we do a lot of telemedicine with them as well, keeping the, them safe at home. Yeah, and and that's kind of why I wanted you to be here because um, I'm curious as to why. First of all, just why did you choose the medical field as your profession? What what, what drew you to that? So, do you want to go? Sure. Um, I, I think it was a variety of things. When I was a child, I had a, a health condition that required different tests and uh, hospitalization and some other stuff. Uh, and I think through that, uh, one thing that stood out to me, I, I were two separate providers, and they were in stark contrast of how how they treated me. One was hurried and rushed, and uh, I just felt alone and scared. Um, and then this other one was incredibly empathetic, sat, listened, made me feel normal and validated and cared for. So I think I tucked that in the back of, uh, in the back of my head. As I grew up, um, I became a believer in high school. 
then went to college and studied engineering. And during that time, I spent some time overseas and thought, uh, what could I do that's uh, that would blend uh, engineering and technology, but I still had this love for people. So at that time, I was in a really good place in my faith. I was in a Bible study. I was volunteering a lot with a youth group, and I was kind of trying to decide if I was going to go into youth ministry or engineering, and in the back of my mind, I think somewhere walking through that, um, medicine came up. And so I thought about it. I prayed about it, and I applied, and I, I, we were talking about in the car. I remember the day... Um, I got my acceptance letter. I think it was in an email, but I, I think I think I had a BlackBerry at that time. I left a thermodynamics class and was outside. I had those old uh, iPods, uh, like a, this little blue iPod, and I had headphones in, and I was listening to Sean McDonald. And I opened the email and said, congratulations, you're accepted at the University of Colorado. And I, I remember getting on this silly ledge and dancing like a fool and was super excited. So it was really beautiful. So for me, I think... Uh, the reason I went into it, it felt like this beautiful way to serve people, to show, try to show up and play a small part in God's redemption and reconciliation to this world. That's awesome. And you, Jenny? Um, I just also want to say I'm very humbled that you asked us to be here to talk about this. Um, yeah, so um, my journey starting in medical school look different than Clark. Um, I was raised in a home with wonderful values, um, but not a Christian home. And I actually didn't have my first encounter with Christ until about almost halfway into medical school. And so life has looked so different in that transition. Um, So when, if you had asked me, you know, why I went to medical school, and I, I would still say this, I've always thought that the best way to make the world better is to make people healthy. So At the time that I was applying and the whole way growing up, I was good at science, pushed in that direction, had a heart for people. And I really have always felt that if you want a community to be healthy then or to thrive, then children need to be healthy to learn. Parents need to be healthy to work. Um, I always thought I would serve the marginalized, um, work in a more impoverished area. Um, So that's, and really thought I'd be a primary care doctor, which I am. But about halfway through medical school, I had an encounter with Christ. Um, It was through some women on a project I was doing. And that has continued to shape me and shape the way that I view health most specifically in this context. And um, although I am oh so committed still to my medical profession and to the importance of the physical condition, I think the longer I work in medicine, the more I see the spiritual poverty in our patients Mm. and the need for a transformed heart and a personal relationship with Christ. Um, So, yeah, so if you ask me then versus ask me now, it looks a little bit different. That's awesome. I, um, I love that both of you have a story that integrates your faith into your work. A lot of times it's really hard for us to see how our work uh, informs, how our faith informs our work. So I'm curious, how does your career help you facilitate God's kingdom up there on earth down here? Like how do you, how do you see your work as an extension of um, helping people find faith or helping bring God's love? To people, so let's let's tackle that one. Um, I think Jenny and I have talked about this a lot over the years, and when we were dating and got married, um, I think in different ways, Jenny probably more so than me uh, have have a heart for people and the human condition. Um, 
and to create a space where people can experience and encounter the Lord. For me, I feel so lucky and so blessed to do what I do. I, um, in deciding what I was going to do, I remember as a med student, I was uh, on the surgical rotation, which I initially thought I was going to go into a more surgical field, just bored, stay in the OR for nine or ten hours at a time. And I remember meditating on uh, Psalm 19, I think it's verse 14, um, saying, with the meditations of my heart uh, and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Um, and I just remember I felt this strong calling in my life to, to go away from that and go towards what I do now. Um, so it's now it's this beautiful mix of this intense science and um, technical physiology and fast pace and movement, but there's also this really pretty calm and stilling psychosocial emotional and spiritual interaction in clinic i see people that a lot of them have physical ailments and they need procedures and medicine and then a lot of them they have physical manifestations of their underlying anxiety um and stress and depression and just the scars of life that, that we carry from loss and heartache um and so sometimes it's pills and medicine and then other times uh it's sitting with people and when when i invited into it uh, talking about their their faith background, their views, and talking about how to be still and, and being calm and uh, talking about things uh, like contemplative prayer and sitting and resting and at times praying with people. And then in the ICU, um, people are sick and they're dying uh, and they're hurting. And I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough and sad place, but it's also this really beautiful place where the physical meets the spiritual. And it's just Regardless of what people believe and what they think, I think death is on everyone's mind. And it's, uh, there's, I, I get to play this small part sometimes in these miraculous healings and recoveries. And then other times, that's not what happens, and people die. And sometimes the best thing we do is help provide a good death for people um, and help the patients as well as their family members have peace with that as much as they can and create this space uh, for them to experience the Lord in whatever way that looks like. And so... Um, I think when I'm in a good place in my walk with the Lord, it's really beautiful, and other times uh, it's tough and it's sad, and, uh, but it's, it's, it's beautiful and it's fun, and yeah, I, f I feel really fortunate to do what I do. Yeah, I mean, I've had the privilege of being with lots of people to their last breath, and it's always a very sacred time to be invited into that. And you're right. I mean, it doesn't always end. We, you know, nobody gets out of this life alive, and we all have to face death. I, I can't imagine a better person being with people. So I appreciate I think that. that too. You do all the time. Yeah, he did, He's he doesn't speak of the wonderful things he does, but I'm continually impressed. We have the privilege to both being doctors to be able to come home and have each other to sort of unwind and support and sometimes you don't have to explain as much about what's going on and you can understand emotionally where someone might be at and it's incredible uh, I think this the invitation he provides families in caring for them physically but also emotionally and spiritually in the intensive care unit it is amazing yeah you both of you are the kind of doctors I'd want to bump into when I'm struggling with anything medical or, or spiritual, too. So why don't, why don't, Jenny, why don't you tackle that question? Um, sure. So um, I think for me, every day, whether I work half-time, so half the time I'm working as a doctor, and the rest of the time I'm running our household and home and working as a mother. 
So I have lots of, of roles, like all of us. Um, but I think the best part about life or life on mission as a physician is the opportunity for invitation with Christ that it offers. I think when we get up in the morning and we know that there's an invitation to see the world through the eyes of Christ and create that posture when we go into work, the Lord meets us there in incredible ways. And I think, um, especially in this series, listen, the Connect to What Matters series, uh, relationship with God, relationship with others, relationship with our life of wholeness. Um, being a doctor, you come across people usually in a vulnerable place um, and not in a place that they want to be in. And there is an invitation there um, to offer dignity, regardless of the kind of care we're providing. Um, specifically in my clinic, um, we care for the homeless of Boulder. Um, we also care for the marginalized. We care for educated individuals on Medicaid, students, all different walks of life. But a lot of times we care for a lot of um, mental health disease, substance use disorders. And I think having a relationship with Christ and approaching it that way allows for maintaining hopeful expectation of what is to come um, because it can beat you down. Um, people relapse. That's part of life. Um, and it's hard when you invest and you walk with people and their families and see that happen. And I think it's so protective for us um, and rejuvenating uh, to have a relationship with Christ and to hopefully be able to share that with others. Um, I think the other thing I wanted to say is I think we have a gift um, in our field of getting a chance to see the human condition in a different way. And I think I have a lot of gratitude for that, despite it being hard, um, because we're able then, I think, to have eyes, hopefully, to see the world as Christ did, and hopeful expectation for the kingdom to come and contribute to that. And I feel grateful we both have jobs with purpose that we're able to go to. Oh, that's so cool to hear. And, uh, I, you know, you guys, nobody, I'm never going to hear the words, we're humble people from you, because that's what humble people don't say that. But um, you come across that way, um, and I appreciate that. I mean, it'd be really hard to know that you both are in the medical field or have positions that you do by just having a conversation with you. And, um, and I know that that's how it probably plays out. I'm sure that it plays out that way in your work as well. You're professional, and yet you do, you do represent Christ well in your humility. And, um, and, f and for those of you out there, you know, whatever career you're in, it's, it's, you, you should be able to see it as a way to, to live on mission as well. To the people that you work with, to the people you do business with, uh, if you're a student, your fellow students, to your teachers, um, that's what this message is all about. How can we best represent Christ here on earth the way things are happening up there in heaven? So I appreciate you coming. Um, time goes by fast, doesn't it? And we've, we've used up our time. And I want to end by, by letting you know that we're going to show a, a short video of another couple who attends Cornerstone. They're both educators. And they recently uh, spent several months in Uganda in um, Kamuli Village, and uh, they, they came back just shortly, and they're going to share a little bit about their experience.
We were called to go to Uganda in September 2017. David Balabiakubo came to Cornerstone. And that night, um, at the same time, without knowing it, uh, we started planning our, our trip to Uganda. And it was, it was as clear as day. I think that, you know, one thing when God calls you on mission, you have to be open to hear that call. And um, we were open, but it definitely wasn't what we expected. The first time I played here um, for Cornerstone, Tracy Brown was praying over everyone um, on stage. She came outside and said that she had received a word about all of us. I didn't know who she was and she didn't know who I was. And she said, I saw on you uh, the spirit of Abraham and I saw you surrounded by many African children. And I almost fell out of my seat because nobody knew at the time that we were even considering moving to Uganda, but that was probably one of the strongest affirmations that God was calling us to do that. I think the other part about our call is that every step that we took, the door was just wide open. When we were going into our fundraising stage, our planning stage, getting rid of our home, our cars, um, asking for our jobs to be held for us, it was like, since God was calling us, He covered everything. So I think that um, God calls all of us to life on mission and we all have different gifts and he's going to use those gifts if we keep our hands open and allow him to use those gifts to serve him and build his kingdom. And that's the, the joy of the body of Christ is that we are all different and our gifts were used in Uganda and other people's gifts are are used in their schools and in their workplaces and in their homes and in their communities, um, raising up their children and being kind to neighbors. And um, I just think that's the beauty of life on mission is that God calls us all to life on mission. And because we all have different gifts, that's how we get the work done. I hope you enjoyed our worship and message for this week. Check out our website for some really great resources on starting a life on mission. I have a couple of quick announcements before you go. This summer is going to be a bit different at Cornerstone. With stay-at-home orders lifting and group sizes increasing, we want to strategize ways that we can gather together safely. We want to invite all of you to our online summer vision night on Thursday, June 4th. We'll be talking about a few things. One, casting vision for our summer. Two, laying out our reopening phases. And three, answering any questions and concerns you have at that time. Lastly, your faithful giving during this time has helped us stay open and bless the city in big ways. Thank you so much for your generosity. If you'd like to set up recurring giving or would like to make a special donation to our COVID-19 giving fund, you can do so on our website or our Cornerstone Boulder app. Thanks for joining us this Sunday and we'll see you all next week.